Thanks for joining us on the Baseball Happenings Podcast. Our guest this episode is Galen White, author of Left on Base in the Bush Leagues, and he joins us to discuss the life and career of Tom Jordan, who passed away this week at the age of 99, just 10 days short of his 100th birthday. Jordan at the time was the oldest living former Major League Baseball player, and the two developed a special relationship starting in 2012 when White worked with Jordan on Left on Base in the Bush Leagues. We'd love it if you give us a follow on social media at Examine Baseball on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on Facebook at From the Stretch and on the web, baseballhappenings.net. Galen, I just read about Tom Jordan's passing. You devote a lot of time yeah. to him in your book, Left on Base in the uh-huh. Bush Leagues. What can you tell us about your experiences with Tom Jordan being you just seen him a few months ago? He was an amazing man. Um, at the time I saw him in June, um, I would have put money on his making it to 100 uh, on September 5. And, of course, he fell 10 days shy of that. Um, he had gone to the doctor while I was there and uh, came back to the house that night, and we were talking about it. And he said, well, the doctor told him uh, he would live to be 100. And Tom's reply was, well, doctor, that's just three months from now. So uh, he was doing well then. Uh, last time I spoke with him was uh, a week ago Saturday. Um, he had had uh, some heart issues, um, although when I talked to him Saturday, he referred to his latest problem as the result of a heat stroke. Uh, Tom, on most days, would spend uh, three to four hours in the garden there outside his home in Roswell, New Mexico. He uh, loved to grow tomatoes, cucumbers, green peppers. In fact, he attributed his uh, love for gardening and being outdoors as much as he was each day as part of the secret to living as long as he did. Uh, He had a remarkable mind up uh, until uh, his death. In fact, uh, when I was with him in June, we were sitting next to each other and he said, I don't know why it is, but uh, I can remember the lineups for the 1930 and 1931 World Series between the Philadelphia Athletics and St. Louis Cardinals. I said, okay. So I got my iPhone, turned on the recording, and he uh, recited the lineups, which I still have on audio now. So he had a remarkable mind. He uh, caught Bob Feller. Uh, he, uh, once sat in the dugout near Babe Ruth, Remar- remarkable stories. He was a good storyteller. He, and of course he'd experienced so much in his career. He had, uh, three cups of coffee in the majors, uh, first with the Chicago White Sox in 44. And then in 46, uh, he began that season with the White Sox and finished it with the Indians. And then, uh, in 19, uh, uh, Looking here, forty-eight. Yeah, forty-eight. He was with the Browns, and that was just—he uh, actually had a great spring with them, but he only got him one at bat with the Browns, and and they sent him down to the minors. In each case, uh, Tom uh, wanted to go back to the minors. He did not like the big leagues. He did not like big cities. He found them to be rather impersonal. The other thing is, he had a, a thriving uh, farm in, in Roswell, and he preferred to play for minor league teams close to where he lived. So he spent, um, altogether, he was in the minor leagues for 
18 seasons. His lifetime batting average was 338. Uh, he batted over 400 in 1955, and I believe he was 35 years old that year. Uh, my, yes, it would have been 35 because he wouldn't have turned 36 till the end of the year. But he batted over 400 that year. I believe he hit 28 home runs. Um, he was an outstanding hitter. He he played. Uh, he was primarily a catcher. He um, uh, hurt his throwing arm early on, and that affected his time in the big leagues. He uh, batted at least uh, uh, exactly 100 times in the majors. His uh, batting average uh, was uh, 240. He hit the Yankees uh, particularly well. Um, in fact, he had several extra base hits in Yankee Stadium. Also, one of his worst games from a catching standpoint was uh, in Yankee Stadium where um, the Yankees kind of ran wild on him. In fact, there was one base runner who stole three bases that year. Um, his numbers against the Yankees uh, lifetime uh, was 8 for 19, a 421 batting average. Uh, he, uh, he, I have a quote from him. He said, the one thing I could do was hit. There wasn't very many catchers that were outstanding hitters. So seven of his 23 hits in the majors were, were for extra bases. He was an extremely um, strong man. In fact, uh, there was a scout uh, who had a quote saying that Tom uh, Jordan was one of the strongest men he'd ever encountered. His, his handshake, if you ever shook his hand, it was almost bone crushing. But he was um, a, a very nice man. He, uh, you know, some people, if they didn't know him, um, might think he was a little gruff. Um, he might give that appearance, but he really wasn't. He was a, he loved to talk baseball. He uh, followed baseball very closely, and that was that's particularly unusual for one of the older players. He had an 80-inch uh, television screen right outside his bedroom, and uh, you could find him most days uh, watching um, games there uh, on TV. He had the package where he could watch all the MLB games, and right. he was quite knowledgeable and up-to-date. You know what was interesting also was to watch him actually get on social media, which I guess either came through you know, one of his children or grandchildren, and, and to see that connection also was very interesting to see him you know, being interviewed and giving little uh, stories online. I thought that was very fun to see and just how lucid he was. Oh, yes, uh, very lucid. And he, he has a grandson named Ty. Jordan, who's quite a, a good pitcher. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where Ty is right now. He's, I know he's got a scholarship uh, to play baseball somewhere uh, there in New Mexico. Very talented uh, young man. Uh, of course, uh, Tom had a son, Tom Jordan Jr., who uh, see would be 63 years ago, uh, August 24th. In other words, two days ago, Tom Jordan Jr. pitched Roswell to the Little League World Series title. He was the pitching and hitting star. Uh, his photograph was in the New York Times after uh, both hitting a home run and, and pitching a, uh, the Roswell team to victory. Uh, nobody expected Roswell to go that far, let alone win the World Series title. Tom referred to his son winning the World Series as his biggest thrill in baseball. That's incredible. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting given what Tom had accomplished. And so I remember when he said that to me, I, I said, um, uh, did you go see the game? He said, no, no. He was still playing for uh, baseball. He was playing for Carlsbad that year. 
And on the day that uh, Tom Jr. was uh, uh, to pitch in the championship game in Williamsport, Tom and his wife drove um, from Carlsbad about halfway to Roswell and parked alongside the road so they could pick up the radio signal from the Roswell station. And they listened to the entire game. They had a convertible, and they listened to the entire game in that parked car. And Tom said it was uh, it was more nervous, more tense than any game he'd ever played. <laughs> but a very a very um, knowledgeable man too. He, uh, um, you know, he, you consider the uh, just the length of time of his life and uh, how what his career covered. I mean. He played during the war years, and then, of course, he caught Bob Feller. The only home run he had was in Fenway Park. He headed off of Boo Ferris. And the thing is, he could recall these events very clearly and very very detailed. It's amazing, you know, when you talk to so many players and the ones that can recall these things so sharply when most of us, if you ask this, can you remember a game that you played in when you were, like, 21 and – we can't recall the details, and it's always amazing to me how sharp some of these guys are with their recall. He, uh, the other thing too, when I interviewed him, uh, Nick, um, during the course of the conversations, and my first interviews with him go back to 2012. So over a period of time, from 2012 to the present, I uh, had conversations at different times through the year, and during one of the conversations, uh, he made an observation that. Up to that point, uh, I hadn't heard anybody articulate, and that was uh, had to do with the demise of minor league baseball. Of course, it's usually attributed, and correctly so, to uh, television and the development of television and more and more people staying home to watch television than go to minor league games. Uh, air conditioning is another factor that people attribute the fall in attendance at minor league games in the early 50s. But Tom, I thought, really hit the nail on the head when he said Little League. And, of course, uh, what happened, uh, Little League was just developing. Uh, by the mid-50s, it had gained quite a bit in popularity. In fact, in Roswell in 1956, um, with the Little League team uh, winning the, the World Series, um, the attendance in 56 at Roswell games dropped, the minor league games dropped to 17,000. Uh, it had been well over 50,000 the year before. So in Roswell, it had a particular impact. But you could also go to other towns and find that what happened was with uh, the development of the league and more and more parents and grandparents going to uh, the games involving their kids and grandkids, well, uh, there was, um, at the same time, the drop in minor league attendance. So it may have not been as powerful a factor as uh television and air conditioning, but it was a factor. And Tom really was uh, the first one I heard, at least, articulate that. Yeah, most people say what you said earlier, that, you know, it was easier to stay home and watch games on TV, but then it also became easier for families to go watch their kids play instead of yeah trekking to the next park, you know, to go watch a minor league team. One of, the, one of his favorite subjects was a player uh who played for him at Artesia in 1955 and uh, Tom was born in Lawton Oklahoma uh he spent most of his life in Roswell um he uh 
managed several black players, but his favorite uh, of all was Eddie Locke, a pitcher who had um, gained national attention in Amarillo for doing the Ironman role several times. And then uh, uh, Artesia was able to pick him up from Amarillo. Uh, we're not quite sure exactly why Eddie was available, but he'd run into some kind of problem there. And uh, Tom picked him up, brought in Artesia. Well, Eddie won 20 games for him, hit over 300. Uh, I think he had something like 12 home runs. Um, he, he said he did everything but drive the bus. And uh, there was he had some wonderful stories to tell about Eddie Locke. And Eddie Locke was one of his uh, favorite uh, players. Uh, when the Left on Base in the Bush Leagues came out in May, the first place I went was Roswell. Because uh, with Tom still living, I wanted him, one, to be in on the launch of the book. I wanted to do some book signings with him, and we did. Did a book signing there in Roswell at the local library. And then uh, probably the highlight was the book signing we did in Artesia, New Mexico, at the Performing Arts Center. Eighty-five people showed up for the book signing. Um, Tom, uh, it it was just delightful to see him interacting with the fans because uh, he had not done that much in public. I had him up on stage with me as I was going through a presentation on the book, and uh, Tom kind of served as my color commentator. And uh, it was interesting because uh, I asked him about Eddie Locke, and it gave him a chance to tell uh, the people in Artesia, where, of course, he managed in 1955, uh, not only about you know, his experiences there as a manager, but uh, – managing and playing with Eddie Locke. So, uh, you know, these were highlights that, you know, now particularly with his passing, I'm, you know, uh, I'll treasure those moments. Yeah, it seems like, you know, you are able to get these stories and memories out of him and and almost now de facto, right, be a mouthpiece here to help share, you know, his stories because people look at his major league register and, you know, see the small amount of time played. But if you dig a little deeper in his stats... Um, and now that you said he preferred to play in the minor leagues, which is almost unheard of now, you could see that he had a very storied minor league career, uh, almost hit 400 one year and hit 44 home runs, I think 1950. Right, yeah. And in 1955, he did hit 400. He hit 407 in 55 at Artesia. He had uh, 159 RBIs. He led the Longhorn. It was the, um, let's see, what do they have in here? He led the Longhorn League in 1955 in batting average, 407. RBIs, 159. He had 69 doubles. Um, and he wasn't a fast man. He was a catcher, keep that in mind. Um, hits, he had 221 hits. And then, of course, in 1950, he batted 391, 44 home runs, 180 RBIs, led the league in all those categories. Um he did yeah, one of the too, the ball club too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He managed, uh, I believe, all together seven years. He was a player manager seven years, and um, a very successful manager. He had uh, uh, all of his teams were, uh, I don't, uh, all of his teams were in the running if they didn't win it. Um, I have to go back and check them all out. But he, um, you know, he he, he was. He was uh, respected as a manager. I, I know I interviewed one uh, player named Bobby Boyd. He was the catcher for um, Tom at Artesia. And he thought Tom was very fair and and uh, 
uh, was very good with the players, uh, kind of a player's manager. Uh, one of you know some of his experiences, for example, uh, he left organized baseball in 1949. He had started the season at Roswell. In fact, he was hitting uh, it's he was hitting 440 uh, at Roswell in 1949 through 28 games, and uh, his brother was playing for Alpine, Texas, playing uh, uh, semi-pro ball. And his brother called him up and said, uh, uh, come on down. Uh, it pays pretty well, and you only play so many days a week. And, of course, he was trying, uh, trying to run the farm there with his brother. And so they went down, and they played down in Alpine on weekends. Well, Alpine is a very interesting place in the ballpark there, Coconut Field, which many people think is – one of the most beautiful ballparks in the country is still there, but it was owned by uh, a gentleman named Herbert Coconut, who had this huge ranch, and then he built this amazing ballpark. Then he recruited uh, some of the best players around to play for his semi-pro team. So Tom went down there, and after hitting one home run, he tells the story uh, how um, afterwards the Herbert Coconut came up, shook his hand, and left a $100 bill in his hand. That was significant. At that time particularly. Another thing Herbert Corcoran did, and uh, uh, he gave all of his players um, some pretty fancy uh, red cowboy boots. And uh, uh, Tom, unfortunately, did not have his, but his brother um, had passed his boots on to Tom's son. So whenever those red boots came out, there was always a little bit of uh, uh, joking about it. Uh, Tom uh, Tom Sr. would... uh, claim it's uh, they were his but of course they were his brothers and i have a picture of tom with the red boots that's uh that's special too yeah they can imagine so it's a, a moment of pride how did tom receive all this attention especially when he lived long enough to be that last uh, the oldest living major league baseball player he had a great sense of humor i was uh I did several little video and audio clips on different subjects the last day I was with him. And uh, uh, I, I was going to be releasing them over time, and then uh, there was something happening. I still have them, but I didn't release them, except for there might be one uh, that I posted. But I remember, uh, like I say, uh, probably a dozen of these things, and they, they range from his uh, only home run in the majors to hit, uh, catching Bob Feller. To um, I'm trying to think, some of the other subjects, a number of different subjects, and finally I said to him, Tom, we've talked about uh, a whole bunch of things. Is there something uh, uh, I should have asked that I didn't? He said, Well, you haven't asked me about my sex life. <laughs> so he had a great <laughs> sense of humor. <laughs> he had a great sense of humor, and uh, he'd spring it on you. Uh, he was I would describe him as, uh, you know, he was a country boy. And uh, I think he was, as a result, uh, a little reserved, shy at times, and uh, therefore quiet. But, he, you know, just sitting down and talking with him, and, and particularly if you could talk baseball with him, uh, he would just go and go and go. And um, I remember the last time we were together as I was leaving, he said, um, come on back anytime. He said, uh, I really enjoy talking with you. You're the only guy who uh, I can talk full-time baseball with. And to me, that was an honor because um, 
the 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 I don't know just what I picked up from being with him. I I one of the highlights really of my relationship with him was uh, um, watching the first two games of the 2016 World Series with him. I was in Roswell and they invited me out to the house, so I watched the first two games. He was pulling for the Indians because the Indians were one of the three teams that he uh, played for in the majors. Uh, I, of course, am a diehard Cub fan. I sat next to him, but we just, you know, we just um, uh, chatted. And uh, I usually had when I was sitting next to him a, t- a little a tape recorder, and when he said something interesting, I'd just turn it on, and and he just continued talking. He 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 didn't mind at all. You're taping the conversations. He um, I think he took a great amount of satisfaction uh, in people being interested in what he had to say, uh, particularly at this point in his life. And, uh, and I know uh, with the book, uh, with the chapter on he and his son, he was very proud of that. And uh, as, as I am, because um, I think it's a special story of him and his son and, and, um, and, and Tom's experiences, you know, there's so much to these players that you don't see when you're just looking at their stats. You look at just Tom's stats and you see, well, he had cups of coffee with three different teams. He had 100 at-bats in the majors. He batted 240. He only had a home run. And you look at that and you say, well, you kind of write them off. That's unfair to them. And also it's, it, uh, uh, it, it is, uh, you shortchange yourself too, because you haven't, really gotten to know that much about that player and yet you've already come to a conclusion. And that was one of the things that uh, I'm really proud about in writing about Tom is I got inside the man and I've been told that that wasn't easy, but over time he would just start to, uh, you know, he would tell things. I remember I did not have the tape recorder on at this, on this occasion, but I remember him talking to me about uh, black players during the time that he played and how he felt badly that uh, they were treated the way that they did. And and at that moment he was talking, he got a little introspective as to whether he could have done more. And uh, I'm sure he would have if he could have. As it was, uh, he did quite a bit when you stop and think about it. He managed players, black players in Artesia in 55 and Roswell in 56. And by all counts, he was very fair. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned a guy like Eddie Locke before who got his start in the Negro Leagues and played with like the Kansas City Monarchs. And... Uh... Right, you know, made his way, you know, around to, to Tom, you know, almost ten years later, and then Tom, you know, he lived another sixty plus years after his career was over. So there was a whole nother life after baseball. Well, I I asked him, of course, uh, when we were together. I says, "Well, what's it like to be the oldest living major league ball player?" He said, "Well, it's better than being dead." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah he, he and he, you know he he make a uh, crack something like that and then he'd pop a little smile on you and uh he he often wore a straw hat i've got some nice pictures of him in a straw hat and i remember after taking one of them i showed it to him i said look looking mighty dapper tom and he you know he got broken into a big smile i just talked with his um uh daughter-in-law sheila who was his primary caregiver and what a wonderful woman oh fantastic and uh anyway sheila um 
I think paid me the ultimate compliment. They said that uh, Tom considered me a best friend. And for Tom at age 99 to consider me a writer, and he dealt with many writers over the years, and some of them I don't think he cared too much for. Right. <laughs> but uh, you know, she told me, she said uh, that he came to like me better than any writer he had ever met. And he trusted me. It trusted me with some things that were very private, very personal. And uh, I respected that. And uh, just uh, a real loss. I was so rooting for him to make it to 100. I yeah. really was. I thought if I was a betting man, I would have bet that he that he um, uh, would have made it. And so it's a disappointment that he didn't. But what a life he lived in the 99 uh, well, ten, 100 years minus 10 days, or whatever right. that comes to. It's really and, close. Uh, I, was a, I was a little, you know, I thought he would have been at the uh, Browns reunion with you, but when he wasn't there, I figured something was, you know, yeah. missed. Oh, well, yeah. He, uh, so what happened was he had um, about two weeks prior to the Browns reunion, he had uh, a heart attack. Mm. And uh, now when I talked, last time I talked to Tom, he didn't say anything about a heart attack. He referred to it as a heat stroke. But Sheila, who, of course, was talking with the doctors and so forth, um, uh, said it was a heart attack. At first they thought it was a heat stroke, and they took him to the hospital, the ER, thinking it was a heat stroke. But when they got there, they found out uh, he'd had a heart attack and that he had uh, was in the early stages of congestive heart failure. Uh, of course, over the last several weeks, uh, I've been in close contact with Sheila. And um, uh, after the, the heart attack, of course, the decision was made he wasn't going to do any traveling. And uh, that that uh, meant that their plans to go to St. Louis did not uh, they follow through on it. He was really looking forward to it. It had been the previous year. Um, it's interesting, at one time, uh, Major League Baseball uh, couldn't find Tom. Uh, they had not declared him dead, but they couldn't find him. And as a result, uh, Tom was not receiving his pension checks. And I'm not sure exactly how it came to their attention that he was still living, but eventually they connected and Tom uh, uh, Tom collected something like $35,000 in back pension checks. I remember him saying, well, it would have been nice to have had that money when I was younger. That's an another talk about, you know, the retirees, but uh, I'm glad that they were able to catch uh, up with him. Did he ever – I saw earlier this year there was a movement trying to get him to the All-Star game. Did he ever talk about well, that was, uh, that, like not materializing? Yeah, you know, um, that was, I think, more the doing of the local, uh, you know, newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to stir up interest. I, Tom wouldn't have been up to it, and I don't know that Tom would have gone. Well, if he had been invited, he would have gone. He went to, up to Albuquerque and threw out the first pitch of an Albuquerque isotopes game. There are some pictures online of that. He, right after having heart valve surgery over in uh, uh, Lubbock, Texas, he uh, this would have been in June, he went over there and threw out the First pitch before a Texas Tech, and I believe it was TCU game, right before the NCAA tournament started. So he he was still uh, active. Um, he got around on one of these motorized uh, uh, 
carts. Uh, he, you know, around the house, he would kind of get her in a walker. Uh, but again, he was out in that garden all the time. And then he'd take some of his best tomatoes. And uh, there was a place downtown Roswell where they fed the homeless. And he'd take his fresh vegetables down there and give them to those folks so that the homeless would have uh, some of these great tomatoes that he grew to wow, eat. So That sounds a lot about him and, and you know, his spirit. Yeah, I, you know, I asked him... Uh, uh, about you know his longevity and what did he attribute it to? And one uh, he listed was uh, not smoking. He was never a smoker. And then uh, he acknowledged that yeah, I, a couple times I had a few too many uh, beers, but uh, those were just a reminder not to overdo it. <laughs> and, and he didn't. So he was to the extent that he drank was in moderation. Uh, later in life, I only saw him maybe have at any one time, one beer or something like that while we were watching the game. But um, uh, I think he did everything in moderation, and he, he took care of himself. Um, he was, um, you know, even in, in in his 90s, he was like sculptured out of stone. I just, I mean, uh, physically imposing. Um, and, of course, uh, having been out in the sun a lot gardening, uh, he was always tanned. Um, you know, for 99 years old, he, I thought he looked great. And, of course, his mind was sharp. And, uh, again, I think one of the highlights of, of talking with him was when he recited the lineups for the Philadelphia Athletics and the St. Louis Cardinals. They played them back-to-back World Series in 1930 and 1931. And to listen to him do that, I'd just say, you want to eat whatever he's been eating. <laughs> very, very true. Uh Galen White, author of uh, Left on Base in the Bush Leagues, we thank you so much for your time this evening sharing your memories of Tom Jordan. Well, he's a, he's a special man, and and, uh, and even though he had a short stint in the majors, he was an outstanding minor league ball player, and I, I think he should be remembered for the whole body of his work as a player, minor, uh, player manager in the minors. And, of course, uh, the time he had in the majors and keeping in mind that in the end he chose to go back to the minors because he wanted to be closer to home where he had his farm and he can make more money at that time uh, farming than he could playing major league baseball. Thanks again for listening to the baseball happenings podcast. We'd love it if you subscribed and left us a five-star rating on your favorite platform. And remember, keep swinging for the fences.